0: Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537. Ratchet and ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Chapter 61. Northbound on the coastal highway, headed for Newport Beach, Agnes saw bad omens, mile after mile. The verdant hills to the east lay like slumbering giants under blankets of winter grass, bright in the morning sun. But when the shadows of clouds sailed off the sea and gathered inland, the slopes darkened to a blackish green, as somber as shrouds, and a landscape that had appeared to be a sleeping form now looked dead and cold. Initially, the Pacific could not be seen beyond an opaque lens of fog. Yet later, when the mist retreated, the sea itself became a portent of sightlessness, spread flat and colorless in the morning light. The glassy water reminded her of the depthless eyes that are blind, of that terrible sad vacancy where vision is denied. Barty had awakened able to read. On the page, lines of type no longer twisted under his gaze. While always Agnes held fast to hope, she knew that easy hope was usually false hope. And she didn't allow herself to speculate, even briefly, that his problem had resolved itself. Other symptoms, halos and rainbows, had disappeared for a time, only to return. Agnes had read the last half of Red Planet to Barty just the previous night, but he brought the book with him to read it again. Although, to her eyes, the natural world had an ominous cast this morning, she was also aware of its great beauty. She wanted Barty to store up every magnificent vista, every exquisite detail. Young boys, however, are not moved by scenery, especially not when their hearts are venturing on Mars. Ain't that the truth? Like, yo, yo, I didn't know when I was a kid that I love landscape photos, but I will stand outside and just take shots with my camera. Now, like I don't even take pictures of people if I can help it. It's like get out of my way. But when it comes to a landscape, it's like, <gasps> oh my god! Like I saw this thing when I was driving to L.A. from where I live in, in in Sacramento, and it's called Pyramid Lake, and it's going through the Grapevine towards L.A. Like right before Santa Clarita. Y'all don't care, anyway. There's literally a rock that through erosion and water and whatever else is literally shaped like a pyramid, which is beautiful in itself. But at this moment, the sun hit the water just right. And like the dude said in the Emperor's New Groove, when the sun hits these hills just right, it sings that's not a kid saying that that's an adult saying that and that's literally because somebody as an adult is able to take enough time to really appreciate the beauty of the world and i wish the kids could see the beauty i tried to take my kids on my basketball teams outside after they've ran hard and they're sweaty and everything and it's cooler outside and i just have them stand outside and if it's in the winter like if it's Uh, September, October where the the weather has changed and you know it's not as hot outside and it gets darker sooner I have them look at the the sunset and the beauty of the stars and just everything and they're just like why are we out here it's like I'm wasting time on y'all kids come back in here and work on this in out dribble but I know Barty would have appreciated it if he had more information about what she was looking at he would have saw the beauty because there's people like there's people like me who literally just see beauty everywhere and I wish that y'all could see the world the way that I see it where everything is wonderful but unfortunately that also is coupled with the other side of that where everything is dark and that's because I have mental health issues I'm living with mental health illnesses and so there's times when everything is beautiful and there's times where everything is just I can't even see color but I know Barty that's my guy if he could have he would have saw beauty too he would have she she should have pointed it out to him I think I think Agnes should have pointed it out. Bardy read aloud as Agnes drove, because she enjoyed the novel only for page 104. He wanted to share with her the exploits of Jim and Frank and their Martian companion Willis. Though she worried that reading would strain his eyes, worsening his condition, she recognized the irrationality of her fear. Muscles don't atrophy from use, nor eyes wear out from too much seeing. That's why if you share information I was talking with somebody yesterday And I know I know y'all want to get to the story I'm sorry I'm in a talkative mood today I was talking to somebody yesterday Who was talking about teaching And how When you learn something You should not keep it to yourself Because it benefits no one else It's not like once you give it away You're not giving knowledge You're not giving it away You can't lose it You're just sharing it with somebody That's why I'm reading these books. I'm sharing this with y'all. I'm not losing what I have. I'm not giving it away to y'all. I'm not going to be able to not see it anymore. I just want y'all to feel how I feel. And sometimes I want y'all to see what I see. And this is the one way that I can show y'all what I see. Or read to y'all what I see. That's the beauty of this show. I just realized that. For me... Yeah, it has a different meaning. But to y'all, I just want y'all to see what I see. And that's why I want y'all to get involved on Twitter and talk back to me and let me know what y'all see when y'all hear these parts. Like if you got to pause it and, and and type up a quick tweet or something, that's fine. Just let me know what y'all see. Because I see beauty in these pages. And I hope that in my words, I'm establishing a universe for you that you can see the beauty i hope y'all saw the vistas i hope y'all saw the 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 sun you can't lose it by using it can only you you can only lose it by not you know what i'm saying Through miles of worry, natural beauty, imagined omens, and the iron red sands of Mars, they drove at last to Franklin Chan's offices in Newport Beach. Short and slender, Dr. Chan was as self-effacing as a Buddhist monk, as confident and as gracious as a Mandarin emperor. His manner was serene, and his effect was tranquility. Now, I know that he's Asian. You didn't have to give him Asian comparisons. I feel like there's other ones that could have been thought of, but I feel where you're coming from, and it does make sense. But looking at it now, I'm like, you know, the comparisons didn't have to be A to A, you know. For half an hour, he studied Barty's eyes with various devices and instruments. Thereafter, he arranged an immediate appointment with an oncologist, as Joshua had predicted. When Agnes pressed for a diagnosis, Dr. Chan quietly pleaded the need to gather more information. After Barty had seen the oncologist and had additional tests, he and his mother would return here in the afternoon to receive a diagnosis and counseling and treatment options. Agnes was grateful for the speed with which these arrangements were made, but she was also disturbed. Chan's expeditious management of Barty's case resulted in part from his friendship with Joshua, but an urgency arose as well. During his examination of the boy, from a suspicion that he remained reluctant to put in the words, my son had his first examination on January the 18th. He had his surgery on February the 1st. For those of y'all who know, you know that that's not how surgery usually works. It's not usually that quick, unless it's an emergency or there's something... Big going on. So, yeah. Dr. Morley Scher, the oncologist, who had offices in a building near Hawaii Hospital, proved to be tall and portly, although otherwise much like Franklin Chan, kind, calm, and confident. Yet Agnes feared him for reasons similar to those that might cause a superstitious primitive to tremble in the presence of a witch doctor. Although he was a healer, his dark knowledge of the mysteries of cancer seemed to give him godlike power. His judgment carried the force of fate, and his was the voice of destiny. After examining Barty, Dr. Schur sent them to the hospital for further tests. There they spent the rest of the day, except for an hour break during which they ate lunch in a burger joint. Throughout lunch and, indeed, during his hours as an outpatient at the hospital, Barty gave no indication that he understood the gravity of his situation. He remained cheerful, charming the doctors and technicians with his sweet personality and precocious chatter. In the afternoon, Dr. Schur came to the hospital to review test results and to re-examine Barty. When the early winter twilight gave way to night, he sent them back to Dr. Chan and Agnes didn't press Schur for an opinion. All day she had been impatient for a diagnosis, but suddenly she was loath to have the facts put before her. On the short return trip to the ophthalmologist, Agnes crazily considered driving past Chan's office building, cruising onward, ever onward, into the sparkling December night. Not just back to Bright Beach, where the bad news would simply come by phone, but to places so far away that the diagnosis would never catch up to him where the disease will remain unnamed and therefore will have no power over Barty. Mommy, did you know every day on Mars is 37 minutes and 27 seconds longer than ours? Funny, but none of my Martian friends ever mentioned it. Guess how many days in a Martian year? Well, it's farther from the sun, 140 million miles. So, 400 days? Lots more. $687. i would like to live on Mars, wouldn't you? It's longer to wait between Christmases, she said, and between birthdays. I'd save a bunch of money on gifts. You'd never cheat me. I know you. We'd have Christmas twice a year and parties for half birthdays. You think I'm a pushover, huh? Nope, but you're a real good mom. As if he sensed her reluctance to return to Dr. Chan, Barty had kept her occupied with talk at a Red Planet as they approached the office building, had talked her off the street, along the driveway, and into a parking space, where finally she relinquished the fantasy of an endless road trip. At 5.45, long past the end of office hours, Dr. Chan's suite was quiet. The receptionist, Rebecca, had stayed late, just to keep company with Barty in the waiting room. As she settled into a chair beside the boy, he asked her if she knew what gravity was on Mars and when she confessed ignorance he said, only 37% what it is here. You can really jump on Mars. Dr. Chan led Agnes to his private office where he discreetly closed the door. Her hands shook, her entire body shook, and in her mind was a hard clatter of fear like the wheels of a roller coaster rattling over poorly seen tracks. When the ophthalmologist saw her misery, his kind face softened further, and his pity became palpable. In that instant, she knew the dreadful shape of the future, if not its fine details. Instead of sitting behind his desk, he settled into the second of two patient chairs beside her. This, too, indicated bad news. Miss Lampion, in a case like this, I found the greatest mercy is directness. Your son has retinoblastoma, a malignancy of the retina. Although she had acutely felt the loss of Joey during the past three years, she had never missed him as much as she missed him now. Marriage is an expression of love and respect and trust and faith in the future, but the union of husband and wife is also an alliance against the challenges and tragedies of life. A promise that with me in your corner, you will never stand alone. The danger, Dr. Chan explained, is that the cancer can spread from the eye to the orbit, then along the optic nerve to the brain. Against the sight of Franklin Chan's pity, which implied the hopelessness of Barty's condition, Agnes closed her eyes. But she opened them at once, because his chosen darkness reminded her that unwanted darkness might be Barty's fate. Her shaking threatened her composure. She was Barty's mother and father, his only rock, and she must always be strong for him. She clenched her teeth and tensed her body and gradually quieted the tremors by an act of will. Retinoblastoma is usually unilateral, Dr. Chan continued, occurring in one eye. Bartholomew has tumors in both. The fact that Barty saw twisty spots with either eye closed had prepared Agnes for this bleak news. Yet, in spite of the defense foreknowledge provided her, the teeth of sorrow bit deep. In cases like this, the malignancy is often more advanced in one eye than the other. If the size of the tumor requires it, we remove the eye containing the greatest malignancy, and we treat the remaining eye with radiation. I have trusted in thy mercy, she thought desperately, reaching for comfort to Psalms 13.5. Frequently, symptoms appear early enough that radiation therapy in one or both eyes has a chance to succeed. Sometimes, strabismus, in which one eye diverges from the other either inward towards the nose or outward towards the temple, can be an early sign. The more often we're alerted when the patient reports problems with vision, like twisty spots. Chan nodded. Considering the advanced stage of Bartholomew's malignancies... He should have complained earlier than he did. The symptoms come and go. Today he can read. That's unusual too. And I wish the etiology of this disease, which is exceedingly well understood, gave us reason to hope based on the transience of the symptoms. But it doesn't. Be merciful unto me according to thy word. Few people will spend the greater part of their youth in school struggling to obtain the education required for a medical specialty unless they have a passion to heal. Franklin Chan was a healer whose passion was the preservation of vision, and Agnes could see that his anguish, while a pale reflection of hers, was real and deeply felt. The mass of these malignancies suggest that they will soon spread, or have already spread, out of the eyes of the orbit. There's no hope the radiation therapy will work in this instance and no time to risk trying it, even if there were hope. No time at all. No time. Dr. Scherer and I agree to save Bartholomew's life, we must remove both eyes immediately. Here, four days past Christmas, after two days of torment, Agnes knew the worst: that her treasure son must go eyeless or die, must choose between blindness or cancer of the brain. She had expected horror, although perhaps not a horror quite as stark as this, and she also expected to be crushed by it, destroyed, because although she was able to survive any misery that might be visited upon her, she didn't think that she possessed the fortitude to endure the suffering of her innocent child. Yet she listened, and she received the terrible burden of the news, and her bones did not at once turn to dust, although unfeeling dust was what she now preferred to be. Immediately, she said. What does that mean? Tomorrow morning. She looked down at her clutch hands. Made for work, these hands, and always ready to take on any task. Strong, nimble, reliable hands, but useless to her now. Unable to perform the one miracle she needed. Barty's birthday is in eight days. I was hoping... Dr. Chan's manner remained professional, providing the strength that Agnes required. But his pain was evident when his gentle voice softened further. These tumors are so advanced, we won't know until surgery if the malignancy has spread. We may already be too late. And if we aren't too late, we'll have only a small window of opportunity. A small window. Eight days would entail too much risk. She nodded. And could not lift her gaze from her hands. Could not meet his eyes. Afraid that his worry would feed her own. Afraid also that the sight of his sympathy would shake loose her perilous grip on her emotions. After a while, Franklin Chan asked, Do you want me with you when you tell him? I think just me and him. Here in my office? Alright. Would you like time by yourself before I bring him to you? She nodded. He rose, opened the door. Miss Lampion? Yes, she replied without looking up. He's a wonderful boy, so very bright, so very full of life. Blindness will be hard, but it won't be the end. He'll cope without the light. It'll be so difficult at first, but this boy, eventually he'll thrive. She bit her lower lip held her breath, repressed a sob that sought release, and said, I know. Dr. Chan closed the door as he left. Agnes leaned forward in her chair, knees together, clasped hands resting on her knees, forehead against her hands. She thought that she already knew all about humility, about the necessity of it, about the power of it to bring peace of mind and to heal the heart, but in the following few minutes she learned more about humility than she had ever known before. The shakes returned, became more violent than previously, and then once more, passed. For a while, she couldn't get enough air, felt suffocated. She drew great, raw, shuddering breaths and thought that she would never be able to quiet herself. But quiet came. Worried that tears would frighten Barty, that indulging in a few would result in a ruinous flood, Agnes held back the salt tides. A mother's duty proved to be the stuff from which dams were built. She got up from the chair and went to the window, and raised the Venetian blind rather than look out between its slats. The night, the stars. The universe was vast and Barty small, yet the boy's immortal soul made him as important as galaxies, as important as anything in creation. This Agnes believed. She couldn't tolerate life without the conviction that it had meaning and design, though sometimes she felt that she was a sparrow whose ball had gone unnoticed. Barty sat on the edge of the doctor's desk, legs dangling, holding Red Planet, his place marked by an inserted finger. Agnes had lifted him to this perch. Now she smoothed his hair, straightened his shirt, and retied his loosened shoelaces finding it even harder than she had expected to say what needed to be said. She thought she might require Dr. Shan's presence after all. Then suddenly, she found the right words. More accurately, they seemed to come through her, for she was not conscious of formulating the sentences. The substance of what she said and the tone in which she said it were so perfect that it seemed almost as though an angel had relieved her of this burden by possessing her long enough to help her son understand what must happen and why. Barty's math and reading skills exceeded those of most 18-year-olds, but regardless of its brilliance, he was a few days shy of his third birthday. Prodigies were not necessarily as emotionally mature as they were intellectually developed, but Barty listened with sober attention, asked questions, and then sat in silence, staring at the book in his hands, with neither tears nor apparent fear. At last, he said, Do you think the doctors know best? Yes, honey, I do. Okay. He put the book aside on the desk and reached for her. Agnes drew him into her arms and lifted him off the desk and embraced him tightly, with his head on her shoulder and his face nestled against her neck, as she held him when he was a baby. Can we wait until Monday? he asked. Some information she had withheld from him, that the cancer might have already spread, that he might die still even after his eyes were removed, and that if it hadn't yet spread, it might soon do so. Why Monday? she asked. I can read now. The twisties are gone. They'll be back. But over the weekend, maybe I could read a few last books. Highland, huh? He knew the titles that he wanted. Tunnel in the Sky, Between Planets, Starman Jones. Carrying him to the window, gazing up at the stars, the moon, she said, I'll always read to you, Barty. That's different, though yes yes it is and it is because me reading to y'all i don't know what y'all see but when you read to yourself you get into this beautiful zone where you just fall into that world fall into that place where nothing else matters Highland dreamed of traveling to far worlds prior to his death John Kennedy had promised the men will walk on the moon before the end of the decade. Barty wanted nothing so grand, only to read a few stories, to lose himself in the wonderful private pleasure of books, because soon each story would be a listening experience only, no longer entirely a private journey. His breath was warm against her throat. And I want to go back home to see some faces. Faces? Uncle Edom. Uncle Jacob. Aunt Maria, so I can remember faces after, you know. The sky was so deep and cold. The moon shimmered and the stars blurred, but only briefly, for her devotion to this boy was a fiery furnace that tempered the steel of her spine and brought a drying heat to her eyes. Without Franklin Chan's full approval, but with his complete understanding, Agnes took Barty home. On Monday, they'll return to Hoag Hospital, where Barty will receive surgery on Tuesday. The Bright Beach Library was open until nine on Friday evening. Arriving an hour before closing, they returned the Highland novels that Barty had already read, and checked out the three that he wanted. In a spirit of optimism, they borrowed a fourth, Podcane of Mars. In the car again, a block from home, Barty said Maybe you could just not tell Uncle Edom and Uncle Jacob until Sunday night. They won't handle it real well, you know? She nodded. I know. If you tell them now, we won't have a happy weekend. Happy weekend. His attitude amazed her, and his strength in the face of darkness gave her courage. At home... Agnes had no appetite, but she fixed Barty a cheese sandwich, spooned potato salad into a dish, added a bag of corn chips and a Coke, and served this late dinner on a tray in his room, where he was already in bed and reading Tunnel in the Sky. Edom and Jacob came to the house, asking what Dr. Chan had said, and Agnes lied to them. There are some test results we won't have until Monday, but he thinks Barty's going to be all right. If either of them suspected that she was lying... It was Edom. He looked puzzled, but he didn't pursue the issue. She asked Eden to stay in the main house, so Barty wouldn't be alone while she visited Maria Gonzalez for an hour or two. He was pleased to oblige, settling down to watch a television documentary about volcanoes, which promised to include stories about the 1902 eruption of Mount Pele on Martinique, which killed 28,000 people within minutes, and other disasters of colossal proportions. She knew Maria was home waiting for a call about Barty. The apartment above Alina's fashions could be reached by a set of exterior stairs to the back of the building. The climb had never before taxed Agnes and Elise, but now it took away her breath and left her legs trembling by the time she reached the top landing. Maria looked stricken when she answered the doorbell, for she intuited that a visit instead of a call meant the worst. In Maria's kitchen, still just four days past Christmas, Agnes let dissolve her stoic mask and wept at last. Later, at home, after Agnes sent Edom back to his apartment, she opened a bottle of vodka that she had bought on the way back from Maria's. She mixed it with orange juice in a water glass. She sat at the kitchen table, staring at the glass. After a while, she emptied it in the sink without having taken a sip. She poured cold milk and drank it quickly. As she was rinsing the empty glass, she felt as if she might throw up, but she didn't. For a long time, she sat alone in the dark living room, in the armchair that had been Joey's favorite, thinking about many things but returning often to the memory of Barty's dry walk in wet weather. When she went upstairs at 2.10 in the morning, she found the boy fast asleep in the soft lamplight, tunnel in the sky at his side. She crawled up in the armchair, watching Barty. She was greedy for the sight of him. She thought she would not doze off, but would spend the night watching over him, yet exhaustion defeated her. Shortly after 6 o'clock Saturday morning, she stirred from a fretful dream and saw Barty sitting up in bed, reading. During the night, he had awakened, seen her in the chair, and covered her with a blanket. Smiling, pulling the blanket more tightly around herself, she said, You look after your old mom, don't you? You make good pies. Caught unaware by the joke, she laughed. Well, I'm glad to know I'm good for something. Is there maybe a special pie you'd like me to make today? Peanut butter chiffon, coconut cream, and chocolate cream. Three pies, huh? You'll be a fat little piggy. I'll share, he assured her. Thus began the first day of the last weekend of their old lives. Maria visited on Saturday, sitting in the kitchen, embroidering the collar and cuffs of a blouse while Agnes baked pies. Barty sat at the kitchen table, reading between planets. From time to time, Agnes discovered him watching her at work or studying Maria's face in her dexterous hands. At sunset, the boy stood in the backyard, gazing up through the branches of the giant oak as an orange sky darkened the coral to red to purple to indigo. At dawn, he and his mother went down to the sea to watch the rolling waves fill of with foam and gilded with the molten gold of the morning sun, to see the kiting gulls and the scattered bread that brought the winged multitudes to earth. On Sunday, New Year's Eve, Edom and Jacob came for dinner. Following dessert, when Barty went to his room to continue reading Starman Jones, which he had begun late that afternoon, Agnes told her brothers the truth about their nephew's eyes. Their struggle to put their sorrow into words moved Agnes, not because they cared so deeply, but because in the end, they were unable to express themselves adequately. Without the relief provided by expression, their anguish grew corrosive. Their lifelong introversion left them without the social skills to unburden themselves or to provide solace to others. Worse, their obsessions with death and all its many means and mechanisms had prepared them to expect Barty's cancer which left them neither shocked nor capable of consolation, but merely resigned. Ultimately, in great frustration, each twin was reduced a fragment to fragmented sentences, crippled gestures, quiet tears, and Agnes became the only consoler. They wanted to go up to Barty's room, but she refused them because there was nothing more they could do for the boy than they had done for her. He wants to finish reading Starman Jones, and I'm not letting anything interfere with that. We're leaving for Newport Beach at 7 in the morning. And you can see him then. You know, this is me. Parents, don't go lying to your kids. Like, that's messed up. That's messed up. I'm not talking about, like, cancer and stuff like that. I'm not talking about this at all. I'm talking about when I was a kid. And we used to go on long road trips. And I was like 9, 10, 11, 8. I loved to read. And we'd be on these long road trips. And there was a light in the back that you could turn on. And my parents told me that if you turn that light on at night, the cops will pull you over and arrest them. So that's why I wasn't allowed to turn that light on and read a book. And so I had to sit, bored stupid, or play my Game Boy. Which, for you young folks back there in the back, did not have a backlight to it. There was no color to a Game Boy. There was nothing but black and white against a gray screen. So you couldn't play it at night. But I wanted to because I wasn't allowed to read a book because I couldn't turn on the lights so I had to wait for the street lights to pass and try and do a move real quick and then pause I was literally 35 when I found out that you could leave the light on and read or you could leave that light on and you wouldn't get arrested I didn't even call my parents out about that when it wouldn't even have been worth it my mom would have been like I don't remember saying that Now yeah, it would have been it. Shortly past nine o'clock, an hour after Edom and Jacob had gone, Barty came downstairs, book in hand. The twisties are back. For each of them, Agnes put one scoop of vanilla ice cream in a tall glass of root beer, and after changing quickly into their pajamas, they sat together in Barty's bed, enjoying their treats, while she read aloud the last 60 pages of Starman Jones. No weekend had ever passed so quickly and no midnight had ever brought with it such dread. Barty slept in his mother's bed that night. Shortly after Agnes turned out the light, she said, Kiddo, it's been one whole week since you walked where the rain wasn't, and I've been doing a lot of thinking about that. It's not scary, he assured her again. Well, it still is to me, but what I've been wondering, when you talk about all the way things are, Is there some place where you don't have this problem with your eyes? Sure. That's how it works with everything. Everything that can happen does happen. And each different way of happening makes a whole new place. That's quantum physics, ladies and gentlemen. I didn't follow that at all. If y'all watched Loki, if you've seen Doctor Strange, this book came out before both of them. I love this book He sighed I know Do you see these other places? Nope, I just feel them Even when you walk in them I don't really Walk in them, I just sort of walk In the idea Of them I don't suppose you can make that any clearer for your old mom Huh? Maybe someday, but not now So how far away are these places? all here together now other Bardies and other Agnes's and other houses like this all here together now yeah and in some of them your dad's alive yeah and in some of them maybe i died the night you were born and you live alone with your dad some places it, it has to be like that in some places it has to be that your eyes are okay Oh, there's lots of places where I don't have bad eyes at all. And then lots of places where I have it worse or don't have it as bad, but I still have it some. Agnes remained mystified by this talk. But a week before, in the rain swept cemetery, she had learned there was substance to it. She said, honey, what I'm wondering is. Could you walk where you don't have bad eyes like you walk where the rain wasn't and leave the tumors in that other place? Could you walk where you have good eyes and come back with them? If you've seen WandaVision, if you've seen Doctor Strange, Doctor Strange Part 2. This is all Wanda wanted. This was it. This is how villains are made. Right here. I still refuse to call Wanda a villain, by the way. Refuse. I won't. I know the fear of almost losing a child. I know the pain of thinking you were going to lose a child. Nope. I just want to reiterate, and I know that this is a book podcast, but I just want to reiterate she lost her family, her brother, her life, her husband, in a very short span of time. I wonder sometimes what the timeline of Marvel movies is. Because it feels like um, Battle of Age of Ultron and Infinity War were really close together. Will you think about it for me? Sure, it's a good question. She smiled. Thanks, I love you, sweetie. I love you too. Have you said your silent prayers? I'll say them now. Agnes said hers too. She lay beside her boy in the darkness, gazing at the covered window where the faint glow of the moon pressed through the blind, suggesting another world thriving with strange life just beyond a thin membrane of light. Murmuring on the edge of sleep, Barty spoke to his father and all the places where Joey still lived. Good night, Daddy. Agnes' faith told her that the world was infinitely complex and full of mystery, and in a peculiar way, Barty's talk of infinite possibilities supported her belief and gave her the comfort to sleep. Monday morning, New Year's Eve, Agnes carried two suitcases out the back door, sat them on the porch, and blinked in surprise at the sight of Edom's yellow and white Ford Country Squire parked in the driveway in front of the garage. He and Jacob were loading their suitcases into the car. They came to her, picked up the luggage as she had sat down, and Edom said, I'll drive. I'll sit up front with Edom, Jacob said. You can ride in back with Barty. In all their years, neither twin had ever set foot beyond the limits of Bright Beach. They both appeared nervous but determined. Barty came out the house with a library copy of Podcane of Mars, which his mother had promised to read to him later in the hospital. Are we all going, he asked. It looks that way, said Agnes. Wow, exactly. (laughs) In spite of major earthquakes pending, explosions of dynamite hauling trucks on the highway, Tornadoes somewhere churning The grim likelihood of a great dam bursting along the route Freak ice storms stored up in the unpredictable heavens Crashing planes and runaway trains converging on the coastal highway And the possibility of a sudden violent shift in the earth's access that will wipe out human civilization They risk crossing the boundaries of the Bright Beach And travel north into the great unknown A territory strange and perilous as they rolled along the coast, Agnes began to read the Barty from Pie, Cane, and Mars. All my life I wanted to go to Earth. Not to live, of course. Just to see it. As everyone knows, Terra is a wonderful place to visit, but not to live. Not truly suited to human habitation. In the front seat, Edom and Jacob murmured agreement with the narrator's sentiments. Monday night, Edom and Jacob booked adjoining units in a motel near the hospital. They called Barty's room to give Agnes a phone number and to report that they had expected 18 establishments before finding one that seemed comparatively safe. In regard for Barty's tender age, Dr. Franklin Chan had arranged for Agnes to spend the night in her son's room, in the second bed, which currently wasn't needed for a patient. For the first time in many months, Barty didn't want to sleep in the dark. They left the door of the room open, admitting some of the fluorescent glow from the hallway. The night seemed to be longer than a Martian month. Agnes dozed fitfully, waking more than once, sweaty and shaking, from a dream in which her son was taken from her in pieces. First his eyes, then his hands, then his ears, his legs. The hospital was eerily quiet, except for the occasional squeak of rubber-soled shoes on the vinyl floor of the corridor. At first light, a nurse arrived to perform preliminary surgical prep on Barty. She pulled the boy's hair back and captured it under a tight-fitting cap. With cream and a safety razor, she shaved off his eyebrows. When the nurse was gone, alone with his mother as they waited for the orderly to bring a gurney, Barty said, Come close. She was already standing beside his bed. She leaned down to him. Closer, he said. She lowered her face to his. He raised his head and rubbed noses with her. Eskimo. Eskimo, she repeated. Barty whispered. I know, I know, I know that this is a, um you know what? I'm, I'm not going to do it, but I have to. He's three. The Great North Pole Society and Not Evil Adventurers is now in session. All members present, she agreed. I have a secret. No member of the society ever violates a secret confidence, Agnes assured him. I'm scared. Throughout, Ag- I, I've read this book twice a year for many, many years. And I've never cried. Throughout Agnes's 33 years, strength had often been demanded of her, but never such strength was required now to rein in her emotions and to be a rock for Barty. Don't be scared, honey. I'm here. She took one of his small hands in both of hers. I'll be waiting. You're never without me. Aren't you afraid? If he had been any other three-year-old, she would have told a complete and compassionate lie. He was her miracle child, however, her prodigy, and he would know a lie for what it was. Yes, she admitted, her face still close to his. I'm afraid, but Dr. Chan is a fine surgeon and this is a very fine hospital. How long will it take? Not long. Will I feel anything? You'll be asleep, sweetie. Is God watching? Yes, always. It seems like he isn't watching. He's here as sure as I am, Barty. He's very busy with the whole universe to run with so many people to look after. Not just here, but on other planets like you've been reading about. I didn't think of other planets. Well, with so much on his shoulders, he can't always watch us directly, you know, with his fullest attention every minute. But he's always at least watching from the corner of his eye. You'll be all right. I know you will. The gurney, one wheel rattling, the young orderly behind it, dressed all in white, and the nurse again. Eskimo, whispered Barty. Eskimo, she replied this meeting of the North Pole Society and Not Evil Adventurers is officially closed. She held his face in both hands and kissed each of his beautiful jeweled eyes. You ready? A fragile smile. No. Neither am I, she admitted. So let's go. This feels so much like talking to Kid Awesome. The orderly lifted Barty onto the gurney. The nurse draped the sheet over him and slipped a thin pillow under his head. Having survived the night, Edom and Jacob were waiting in the hall. Each kissed his nephew, but neither could speak. The nurse led the way while the orderly pushed the gurney from behind Barty's head. Agnes walked at her son's side, tightly holding his right hand. Edom and Jacob flanked the gurney each gripping one of Barty's feet through the sheet that covered him, escorting him with the same stony determination that you saw on the face of the Secret Service agents who bracketed the President of the United States. At the elevators, the orderly suggested that Edom and Jacob take a second cab and meet them on the surgical floor. Edom bit his lip, shook his head, and stubbornly clung to Barty's left foot. Holding fast to the boy's right foot, Jacob observed that one elevator might descend safely, but if they took two, one or the other was certain to crash to the bottom of the shaft, considering the unreliability of all machinery made by man. The nurse noted that the maximum weight capacity of the elevator allowed all of them to take the same cab, if they didn't mind being squeezed a little. They didn't mind, and so down they went in a controlled descent that was nevertheless too quick for Agnes. The door slid open, and they rolled Barty corridor to corridor past the scrub sinks to a waiting surgical nurse in a green cap, mask, and gown. She alone affected his transfer into the positive pressure of the surgery. As he was wheeled headfirst into the operating room, Barty raised off the gurney pillow. He fixed his gaze on his mother until the door swung shut between them. Agnes held a smile as best she could, determined that her son's final glimpse of her face would not leave him with a memory of her despair. With her brothers, she adjourned to the waiting room, where the three of them sat drinking vending machine coffee, black, from paper cups. It occurred to her that the knave had come, as foretold by the cards on that night long ago. She had expected the knave to be a man, with sharp eyes and a wicked heart. But the curse was cancer, and not a man at all. Since her conversation with Joshua Nunn the previous Thursday, she had more than four days to armor herself for the worse. She prepared for it as well as any mother could while still holding on to her sanity. Yet, in her heart, she wouldn't relinquish hope for a miracle. This was an amazing boy, a prodigy, a boy who could walk where the rain wasn't, already himself a miracle, and it seemed that anything might happen that Dr. Chammai suddenly rushed into the waiting room, surgical mask dangling from his neck, face aglow, with news of a spontaneous rejection of the cancer. And in time, the surgeon did appear, bearing the good news that neither malignancy had spread to the orbit and optic nerve, but he had no greater miracle to report. On January 2, 1968, four days before his birthday, Bartholomew Lampion gave up his eyes so that he might live And accepted a life of blindness With no hope of bathing in light again Until, in his good time He left this world for a better one 916-633-1537 Wretched and ratchet at gmail.com Ratchet Book Club on Twitter Ratchet Book Club on Facebook Leave a review on Spotify. Uh, you can also leave a review on Podchaser. Copy and paste that into the Apple Podcast app and then copy and paste that into the Good Pods app. You can donate to the show on Patreon.com slash Single Simulcast or on BuyMeACoffee.com slash SSCast or on the Good Pods app. Uh, you can uh, leave a tip in the tip jar. Thank you so much for listening. I do greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm going to holler at you later. Peace. The intro and outro to Ratchet Book Club is by That Kid Garan, and it's called Goodbyes. You can email him at tkgbeats94 at gmail.com for more information on how to lease this beat. This is Single Simulcast. While Americans overwhelmingly support the right of an individual to make their own decisions about abortion, unfortunately, that right is no longer protected everywhere in the U.S., The Supreme Court overturned Roe vs. Wade on June 24th. Abortion is a basic health care need for the millions of people who could become pregnant. Everyone should have the freedom to decide what's best for themselves and their families, including when it comes to ending a pregnancy. This decision has dire consequences for individual health and safety and could have harsh repercussions for other landmark decisions. Restricting access to comprehensive reproductive care, including abortion, threatens the health and independence of all Americans. Even if you live in a state where abortion rights are upheld, access to safe medical procedures shouldn't be determined by location, and it shouldn't be the privilege of a small few. You can help by donating local abortion funds. To find out where to donate for each state, visit donationsforabortion.com. That's the number four not spelled out. If you or someone you know needs help or if you want to get more involved here are five resources 1. Shout Your Abortion is a campaign to normalize abortion 2. Don't Ban Equality is a campaign for companies to take a stand against abortion restrictions 3. Abortion.cafe has information about where to find clinics 4. PlanCPills.org provides early at home abortion pills that you can keep in your medicine cabinet. And five, Choice.CRD.co has a collection of these resources and more. You can also find links to all these resources at podvoices.help. I encourage you to speak up, take care, and spread the word.